Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Your happily ever after is waiting for you in the Chrysler Pacifica and Pacifica plug-in hybrid. With available all-wheel drive, Pacifica helps handle adverse conditions like magic. And with a plug-in hybrid, it can help your range anxiety disappear. Make your drive even more enchanted in the Chrysler Pacifica. And watch Disney's Disenchanted, now streaming only on Disney Plus, rated PG. Disney Plus subscription required. Must be 18 plus to subscribe. EPA estimated 520 mile total range with a fully charged battery. Actual mileage may vary. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Charts with Dan. We have a busy episode this week because we're going to be breaking down the box office opening for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, as well as the audience reaction and how those two numbers may be tied together, what the future might look like for Marvel's tiniest hero. We'll also be looking at streaming charts and Avatar and everything else we've been keeping track of. But before we get to any of that, I want to thank, as always, my partner here on the show, Carbon Health. You probably know Carbon Health because it's got 120 plus locations that handle urgent care, COVID, RSV, and flu testing, vaccinations. But what people should be looking into is how they're expanding into primary care services, services that include connected health, which is the idea that our health isn't just about our bodies, but also about our minds. That's why Carbon Health's providers come connected with mental health specialists as well. Carbon Health is going to be expanding these primary care services in 23. If you're in Massachusetts, you can check out the Connected Healthcare Services next month. And if you live in California, you can check those services out right now. As I've been saying for quite some time, I'm happy to be a partner with Carbon Health because I believe in what they're doing, which is to make healthcare as affordable as possible to as many people as possible. So check out Carbon Health. Go look at the app. See if there's a location near you. You can do virtual care on the app as well. Lots of ways that you can enjoy what they have to offer. And I want to thank them as always for being my partner here on the show but let's turn now to the weekend box office and for some reason this isn't always the case with four-day holiday weekends there were no final numbers that were sent in for the friday through sunday box office which means that i'm having to do the show based on estimates my least favorite thing when it comes to box office but you gotta roll with the numbers that you can roll with so these are the estimated box office numbers for Friday through Sunday. At number one, as we knew it would be, is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which has a revised three-day opening estimate of $105.5 million. So coming in ahead of tracking, and we'll see where it fell according to my prediction on what the movie was going to do. It also came in reportedly at about $120 million for the four-day weekend. In second place is Avatar The Way of Water in its 10th week of release, just an 11% drop from last week at six. $6.4 million. In third place is Magic Mike's Last Dance, a 34% drop in its second week. So this is a week of soft drops for most movies. $5.4 million total. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish is at number four, just a 5% drop from last week and a $5.3 million total. Knock at the Cabin is able to nudge its way back into the top five, a 27% drop in its third week of release for a $3.9 million total. Just behind is 80 for Brady in its third week, a 35 
25% drop and a $3.7 million total. Taking the biggest dive in the top 10 was Titanic, the 25th anniversary re-release. It lost a lot of screens and a lot of audience. 64% drop for a $2.4 million total. Gosh, I hope Titanic's going to be okay. I just don't know if it's going to make enough at the box office. At number eight is Marlowe, starring Liam Neeson as the legendary detective. $1.8 million in eighth place. In ninth place is Missing with a 31% drop in its fifth week and a $1.75 million total. And rounding out the top 10 is Tom Hanks in A Man Called Otto in its eighth week of release, a 39% drop and a $1.6 million total. Two movies dropped out of the top 10 this past weekend. First of all, after six weeks, Megan drops out of the top 10, probably because it's available for premium video on demand, etc. And, you know, horror films have a bit of a shorter life at the box office in general. Sometimes you get a movie like A Smile. And then actually dropping out of the top 10 for the second time is Plane, which was in the top 10, dropped out of the top 10, went back into the top 10, and now is out of the top 10 again. Jeez, Plane is going up and down, up and down. It's like some kind of... I don't know, vehicle that has trouble controlling its altitude. I don't know. I'm sure there's a metaphor for it there somewhere. When we look at what I call the road to recovery, looking at this year's box office versus the 2015 to 2019 pre-pandemic average and then the average from 2021 and 2022, we see that big spike there in the dotted black line. That's this year's box office. And we are much nearer where the box office was before the pandemic than where the box office has been after the pandemic, thanks to the debut of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. It's a bit of a packed schedule as we go into March. So let's see how we do on these averages if we can get up there above that blue line finally at some point for this year to date and see if we can maybe stay there for a week or two. But as of right now, after flirting perilously with that red line last weekend, we are back up closer to the average before the pandemic. And it'll be an interesting few weeks to see what the box office looks like. And let's talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania because it was, I think, a weekend of mixed news, good news, bad news for Marvel. And the first thing is it's opening weekend domestically, which is ahead of where a lot of people had been tracking and the estimates were going up as the weekend went on. So let's look at those numbers. Tracking was reported at $95 million for the three-day weekend and $110 million for the four-day weekend. The actual results were at $105 million for the three-day and $120 million for the four-day. Uh, those are estimates. We don't have the final numbers just yet. So ahead of the curve on both accounts by about $10 million from tracking. So that's good news for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. It landed about where analysts thought it would and exceeded those projections just a little bit. But there was also a downside, which was the cinema score. And we've talked about cinema score on this show a lot. It's basically a survey of opening night audiences. It's done in a very old school way. And they basically just ask people that are leaving the movie in select markets around the country what they thought of the film. Quantumania got a B cinema score from audiences, which is tied for the lowest in MCU history, along with Eternals, and we'll talk more about that. Overall, it was the 17th best opening weekend for the MCU. It was the 18th MCU film to open to $100 plus million, and the biggest opening for any film in the Ant-Man franchise specifically, although it should be noted that the budget for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is assumed to be the same $200 million budget that just about every MCU movie has had for the past couple years, is $70 million plus higher probably than the investment in the previous films in the franchise. So something to think about when we talk about it being the biggest opening for an Ant-Man film. Looking at the opening weekend numbers, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania put up the third best opening for February behind Deadpool at 132.4 million and Black Panther at 
$202 million. It's $105.5 million, puts it at number three. It bumps Fifty Shades of Grey down to number four, and The Passion of the Christ down to number five. Sorry, the Lego movie, you are now bricked out of the top five. When we look at the MCU domestic opening weekends by box office gross, this is every opening weekend for the entire MCU, and you see those ones that are in yellow. Those are movies that are in phase four and now phase five of the MCU. You see Spider-Man No Way Home, the second best opening of all time for the MCU. Right there, kind of in the top seven or eight, we have Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which opened very similarly. Then you go to the middle of that chart. You have Thor Love and Thunder from last summer, which opened to about $144 million. Then right around the middle, we have Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. And then towards the back of the pack, we have Black Widow, Eternals, and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So when you look at this chart, it kind of appears that Phase 4 has been a mixed bag for Marvel thus far. One movie way up in the front, a couple more in the top 10, a couple in the middle, and a few there at the back. But when we adjust this chart for inflation, we start to get a better look historically at how these films are doing. So when we look at the chart by adjusted gross, of course, Spider-Man No Way Home is still right up there now in the top three behind Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War. And it should be noted because in Inflation is so bad right now. This is kind of an enhanced effect. It's a little bit higher on some of these grosses than it would be if inflation wasn't quite so bad. But this is really about the general overall effect of just kind of evening out all of these numbers. Then you see Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which are both rounding out the top 10, basically, for the MCU there. Then right in the middle, basically, you still have Thor Love and Thunder from this summer, but look where Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania has been pushed when you adjust those figures for inflation. It's now all the way to the back third of the MCU, so we are seeing a bit of an accelerated trend of movies that are opening kind of in that back third of the MCU when you adjust for inflation. A few that are in the top 10, but not a whole lot that are right there in that middle section. And I think this is of special concern when we talk about, as I was mentioning before, the cinema score for the latest films in the MCU. And we look at the breakdown of MCU by cinema score. Four movies have received an A plus in the history of the MCU. 31 movies, The Avengers, Black Panther, Avengers Endgame, and Spider-Man No Way Home. The only four that have gotten the A plus. It's a very rare grade. 17 movies in the MCU have gotten an A, the most recent being Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Five movies have gotten an A-, minus. the most recent one of those would be Black Widow. And then we get to the B-pluses and the Bs, which for a superhero film, for something in this genre, is kind of considered a middling grade. It means that the audience wasn't quite as on fire as you would have hoped for a four-quadrant film, which is what Marvel is generally shooting for. Prior to Phase 4, there was only one movie that had ever scored below an A- in the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that was the first Thor film. However, of the MCU's last several releases, four of them have been four of the five lowest-rated MCU movies of all time on CinemaScore, because joining Thor with a B-plus was Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and Thor Love and Thunder, and then below that, Eternals, and now Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, the two lowest-scored movies by audiences in MCU history. And some people would say, well, a B's not so bad. And I will say it's certainly not disastrous, but it's not what you're looking for with CinemaScore because it generally indicates that the audience is very blasé on a movie. They're maybe not strongly negative, but they're not especially strongly positive either. And it has been shown many times over that CinemaScore does have a somewhat direct correlation on how well a movie will do at the box office after its opening weekend, what we call its legs. How many times that 
that opening weekend will the final domestic gross of a movie be. CinemaScore is a great indicator of audience expectation and whether a movie is going to meet that expectation, and thus it is a great indicator of what word of mouth is going to be, if people are going to come back and see it. So let's look at the potential for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania as we go forward based on what other Marvel movies that have gotten a B-plus or a B-CinemaScore have done in the past. The domestic legs for Marvel movies that got a B-plus or B-CinemaScore are 2.75 times for Thor, which got a B-plus, which basically means it made 2.75 times its opening weekend gross. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness got a B-plus and made 2.19 times its opening weekend. Thor Love and Thunder also got a B-plus and made 2.38 times its opening weekend. And then Eternals got a B, the only movie prior to Quantumanium with a B. It made 2.31 times its opening weekend. So what are the potential paths open for Quantumania? Well, in the best case scenario where it performs like Thor, if it's going to perform like Marvel movies have done, with those B cinema scores, it'll have a 2.75x multiplier, which means that its final gross will be around $290.1 million. That would make it 20th all time domestically in the MCU. Looking at the worst case scenario, let's say it acts like Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and only makes 2.19 times its opening weekend. That would put its final gross at around $231 million or 22nd all time in the MCU. But I don't think that Thor or Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness are great case studies either way because Thor opened to a much lower number than Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania did, and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness opened to a much higher number than Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania did. So I think we're looking somewhere in the middle. That's why I also calculated the median legs for an MCU movie with a B-plus or B-cinema score. That worked out to 2.345x, which means a final gross of 247.3 million dollars, ranking 21st all-time in the MCU. And then if we're just looking at how Phase 4 has performed, the average legs for a Marvel Phase 4 film, 2.54x, that would put Ant-Man and the Wasp at 267.9 million dollars, or 20th all-time in the MCU. The Phase 4 median gross, 2.38x, that would put Ant-Man and the Wasp at 200 47.3 million dollars or 21st all time at the MCU. Basically what we're looking at as far as predictions, as far as what Ant-Man and the Wasp is going to do unless it outperforms what phase four films have done on average, unless it outperforms what MCU films with its cinema score have gotten on average, is a movie that's going to be between the 20th and the 22nd highest grossing film in the MCU domestically. It's not certainly going to be up near the top. And if we kind of throw the dart in the middle of all these numbers, and let's say we give Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania a $260 million final domestic gross, that would put it at 20th all-time for the MCU, about $1 million more than the final domestic gross of Captain America the Winter Soldier. And if you adjust the numbers for inflation, it would have it as the 23rd highest grossing movie in the MCU, about $2 million over the inflation-adjusted gross of its previous film, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And this is where the big discussion comes in for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania because it met the box office expectations that were set for it. It mildly exceeded it. But the question now with the audience response is, what will next weekend hold? And what does the general response say 
for the MCU. And it's been tough as we've come back since 2021 with Black Widow to really be able to get a, a hold on what audiences are thinking about the MCU because even when those movies started coming out, you, you had the Disney Plus factor with Black Widow, you have the box office factor and who's still not going back and how many theaters are open. But we're now at a point where movie going is a little bit more regular. Yes, Disney Plus is still a factor, but it's certainly not available day and date anymore. And I think what we're starting to see is a pattern kind of free from interference from the direct results of the pandemic and the theater closures there that audiences are statistically, quantifiably cooling on the MCU at a degree that we haven't seen. The fact that the opening weekends are starting to fall consistently toward the back of the pack. The fact that cinema scores are starting to fall. As I mentioned, four of the five lowest cinema scores in Marvel history have all been in this latest phase and now the beginning of phase five. Maybe it's franchise fatigue. Maybe it has something to do with these specific movies themselves. There certainly wasn't any fatigue when it came to Spider-Man No Way Home, Black Panther Wakanda Forever domestically performed very well. So I don't think that it's necessarily Marvel fatigue, but if you go back and look at my reviews of these movies creatively, I think there's just something missing from this latest batch of Marvel films. And it's something that we're now seeing. You know, some people said like, well, the MCU has always been hit or miss, but not in these statistics, not what we're looking at, not when it comes to cinema score. We are seeing a bit of a slump here for the MCU from a data standpoint, not from a gut standpoint or not from a, a opinion standpoint, but just from looking at the numbers that people are giving us and the grosses and the openings, I do think that Kevin Feige is probably talking about what are our alternatives here. And he, there's already been some talk from him that they are going to slow down. The Marvels has been pushed from July to almost the end of the year. Feige has said that they're going to slow down with their TV projects, slow down with their releases. Perhaps it's the organizational change at Disney. The fact that Bob Chapek is gone and Bob Iger is back. Perhaps there was pressure on Marvel to churn these projects out quicker because Chapek had a big focus on the streaming side of the business. I don't know exactly what the future holds, but I think that what we can see with phase four and phase five here is that they are in danger of losing a lot of that heat that they had before. Maybe that was inevitable, but now is the time if you're Kevin Feige. And honestly, I think probably about six months ago was the time to start taking direct action. And we'll see what happens with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, because I think it's likely that it does end up around where we're saying here, around $250, $260 million. The question will then be, well, is that enough? It might be enough to make the money back if you're talking about worldwide gross, but is it enough for what you were hoping here? This is the beginning of phase five. It's not even a middle movie, kind of like a Thor Love and Thunder, which is just sort of a romp, a character movie. This was a key piece in the Marvel mythology and audiences seem to have met it largely with a little bit of a shrug. And now Marvel, the ball is really in their court to see what's the strategy from this point on. We have lots more to get to today, but before we do, I want to thank a new sponsor to the show, Babbel. A lot of us like to say we learned a language in high school or college, but let's be honest here, how much do you really remember? But learning, or maybe relearning, a new language has changed completely thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions because it's fun and easy. Whether you're traveling abroad looking to connect to family in a deeper way, or you're just trying to become more well-rounded, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. I've sat with Babbel for a while now trying to re-immerse myself 
myself in Spanish. And they do start with the basics, but in minutes, you're putting together sentences, you're learning more vocabulary words, and that's just the first day of my lessons. Babbel's 15-minute lessons mean that you can learn on the go, and their lessons were created by over 100 language experts, not AI. You can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, German, French, and Italian, and Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel, and right now get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash Dan. That's Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Dan, D-A-N, for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. One movie that doesn't really have to worry about box office returns is Avatar The Way of Water, and we have been tracking it versus its predecessor. And last week you saw on our graph that the original Avatar, unadjusted for inflation, had pulled ahead of the gross day for day with Avatar The Way of Water. And this last week just sort of showed that that trend was going to continue. You see that blue line there? That's the original Avatar pulling ahead even further from Avatar The Way of Water. So no last minute surge for the sequel. It will end up behind the domestic gross of the original film. So the one that we're watching now is kind of the duel, the battle for what will be the biggest domestic movie released in 2022, Top Gun Maverick or Avatar The Way of Water. And this is that day-by-day gross graphic that we've been watching. And you can see that red line there is Top Gun Maverick. And I think, you know, I've been saying from the beginning, really, when we really saw what Avatar The Way of Water was going to do, that Top Gun Maverick would keep the domestic crown for 2022. I still think that's the case. Look at how close that red and blue line are. I would say probably within the next week or two, we're going to see Top Gun Maverick pass Avatar The Way of Water the way that we saw the original Avatar film pass The Way of Water. I think they're going to end up very close when it comes to domestic gross. But I think what we're seeing in this graph is bearing it out is that Top Gun Maverick's legs were just a little too long for Avatar The Way of Water. So they're basically both going to be movies that made right around or above $700 million. So no matter which one's number one or which one's number two, that's not such a bad club to be in. When we look at the 2022 domestic box office, these are movies released in 2022. You see that Top Gun Maverick remains number one, $718.7 million. Avatar The Way of Water is now over $650 million, $657.4 million. And look down there at number 10. Black Adam is right now the 10th highest grossing film of 2022, but it is about to get pounced upon by Puss in Boots The Last Wish, which by this time next week should overtake Black Adam, and it will go down in history as the 10th highest grossing film to be released in 2022. Yes, it made most of its money in 2023, but that's not how these particular box office charts work. So the hierarchy of the top 10 is going to change one last time when Black Adam gets knocked out by Puss in Boots The Last Wish this week, and of course I'll up update that chart next week on the show. When we look at the highest grossing domestic films of all time, Avatar The Way of Water has jumped up one more spot over Jurassic World, so it's now the ninth highest grossing film of all time. And when we look at the highest grossing worldwide films of all time, after a bit of a war of attrition with Titanic's re-release last week, Avatar The Way of Water has overtaken now Titanic to become the third highest grossing film of all time. Titanic will now have to settle for being the fourth highest grossing film of all time, unless you adjust for inflation, in which case it blows all of these movies out of the water. And again, James Cameron directing three of the four highest grossing films ever made. Looking at the 2023 domestic winter spring box office, so this is basically every movie that was released in 300 or more theaters this year since January 1st, 
Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, now the number one movie of 2023, with an estimated $120 million over the four-day weekend. Megan drops down to number two with $93.6 million. 80 for Brady moves up one spot to number three with $33 million. Plane drops down two spots to number four with $31.9 million. Knock at the Cabin stays at number five. Missing drops three spots to number six after just being edged out by Knock at the Cabin. Magic Mike's Last Dance moves up one spot to number seven. Patan moves down two spots to number eight titanic 25th anniversary moves up one spot to number nine house party 2023 moves down three spots to number 10 and bts yet to come in cinemas the worst titled film of the year also out of the top 10 for 2023 when we look at the 2023 domestic box office by calendar gross, so this is all movie tickets sold since January 1st, regardless of when the film came out. Avatar The Way of Water is still the highest grossing film of the year. It sold $257.8 million worth of tickets in calendar 2023. And depending on how Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania does, when you look at that $257.8 million gross, that's about where we were looking potentially at Quantumania ending up. So there's a chance if the bottom falls out of Ant-Man and the Wasp, or even really if it just kind of performs the way that movies similar to it have performed in the past, that it could be the number two movie of the year behind The Way of Water at the end of its domestic run. We'll have to see how it goes. Puss in Boots The Last Wish drops down to number three. It's now brought in $112.2 million in calendar 2023. Megan drops one spot to number four. A Man Called Otto drops one spot to number five. 80 for Brady moves up one spot to number six. Plane drops two spots to number seven. Knock at the Cabin is at number eight. Missing drops three spots to number nine. And Magic Mike's Last Dance grinds its way onto the top 10. $18.8 million. That knocks out Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Patan from the 10 highest grossing films for calendar year 2023. When we look at the movies with the biggest per theater averages for the past weekend, Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania, easily the biggest per theater average, bringing in $24,281 in each of its 4,345 theaters. At number two is Return to Soul, which played in just two theaters, but brought in $15,400 per theater. This is a movie from writer-director Davy Chow about an adopted French woman who returns to South Korea to find her birth parents. At number three is the film Emily about the writer Emily Bronte starring Emma Mackey. It brought in just over $8,000 per theater in five theaters and Emma Mackey had a big weekend. She won the BAFTA Rising Star Award at the BAFTA Awards this past weekend. At number four is Hidden Blade, which is an import from China, $4,780 per theater in 62 theaters. And another Chinese film at number five, The Wandering Earth 2, still playing in 46 theaters for an average of $2,469 per theater. When we look at the movies this weekend that were playing in limited release, so this is 1,000 theaters or fewer, at number one is the annual release from Shorts TV of the 2023 Oscar-nominated short films. It was playing in 370 theaters, a various collection of different screenings, for a total of $705,000. At number two is the film Of an Age, which brought in $370,000 in 289 theaters. Of an Age is an Australian film from writer-director Goran Stalewski, who also directed last 
year's indie horror film, You Won't Be Alone, so back with his sophomore effort there. Best Actor nominee, Bill Nye's Living, is at number four with $209,391. And at number five is the re-release of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which brought in $171,586 in 474 theaters. And some people may be saying, well, wait a minute, Dan, what about Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, which was the horror film because Winnie the Pooh fell into the public domain that was released this past week. Well, interesting story about that. It was originally supposed to be a one-night-only Fathom Events release, and then that release was expanded to include The weekend. But the one-night-only part was in about 1,700 theaters, which means that Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey technically opened in wide release, then contracted to limited release for this past weekend. But the rule with this show is, and you know, movies like Clerks 3 have fallen afoul of it before, that once you open in wide release, if you play in 1001 theaters, then you are not eligible for my limited release chart. So that's why you don't see Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, even though it was in a number of theaters below 1000 this past weekend, it opened in a number of theaters above 1000 for its original Wednesday night exhibition. However, if you want to know what I thought about Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, I put a review up yesterday and I was very um, direct in my thoughts. So uh, if you are aching for that Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey talk that you're not getting here on this show, check out that review. It's right here on the channel. Looking at the limited release top grocers this year, and again, this is all movies in 2023, no matter when they were released, all dollars brought in since January 1st. Patan still easily number one, $16.2 million. A Man Called Otto, $6.2 million in box office receipts before it expanded to wide release. The Wandering Earth 2 is at number three with $4.8 million. Women Talking moves up one spot to number four with $4.1 million. The Whale moves down one spot to number five with $3.9 million million dollars prior to its entry into wide release. Living moves up two spots to number six with $2.3 million total. Walter Viraya there at number seven with that still unconfirmed $2.25 million box office total. 2023's Fear moves down one spot to number eight. Skinnamarink is at number nine and Billie Eilish Live at the O2 remains at number 10. Let's turn now to all markets outside of the domestic market, meaning not the United States and Canada. These were the top five movies at the international box office this past weekend. No surprise here. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania was the number one movie internationally as well with $121.3 million. At number two was The Wandering Earth 2 with $12.3 million, followed by Avatar The Way of Water with $10.7 million, Puss in Boots The Last Wish with $9.9 million, and Full River Red at $9.4 million. When you take the those international numbers, you combine them with our domestic numbers, we get the top five movies worldwide for the last weekend. At number one, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania with $225.3 million, so a opening weekend of right around a quarter billion dollars. That's just the scale that Marvel works at. Avatar The Way of Water is at number two with $16.8 million. Puss in Boots The Last Wish with $15.1 million. The Wandering Earth 2 with $12.3 million. And Titanic 25th Anniversary with $10.2 million. Something to note with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is that it is one of the rare Marvel movies, at least in recent memory, to actually get a release in China this past weekend. And the Asian markets in generally were a little bit softer on the film than had been projected, maybe because Marvel has been out of the market for so long. But that's something else to think about when it comes to the future of the MCU and really all other movies, is that the Chinese market in particular doesn't seem to be as interested in some Hollywood movies as it used to be. I mean, Avatar The Way of Water did really well. 
dollars. So you can't say that the Chinese market is completely disinterested in Hollywood films, but it's not quite the cash in that many studios thought it was going to be. So just another thing to chew on when it comes to Quantumania's performance this past weekend. When we look at the top 10 worldwide in 2023, at number one is Full River Red with $649.6 million. The Wandering Earth 2 is at number two with $572.3 million. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is at number three. The number I went with was a reported $241.3 million. Box Office Mojo has it closer to 350, but I could not find any data backing that up. So I think that might be an error on their side, or maybe they're counting some income that I don't see, but I'm going with $241.3 million total, including estimates for Monday on this chart. Boonie Bear's Guardian Code gets dropped down one spot to number four. Megan, which I'm considering a 2023 release, even though it opened in some markets at the tail end of 2022, is at number five with 165.7 million. Hidden Blade drops down one spot to number six with 132.9 million. Patan is at number seven. It stays right where it was. Deep Sea drops down two spots to number eight. Chebarushka drops down one spot to number nine. 500 Miles drops down one spot to number 10. And Plane drops out of the top 10 entirely with the entry of Ant-Man and the Wasp. We will get back to the charts in just a moment, but before we do, I want to thank another sponsor for today's show, Athletic Greens, the makers of AG1. I started taking AG1 because it was hard for me to get into the routine of taking daily supplements, but breakfast is something that I do every day. So when I make my breakfast shake every day, I add in AG1 and it makes me feel like I'm covering my nutritional bases and just starting my day off right. The biggest thing it's helped me with is improved digestion and gut health, but it's also good to know that I'm giving my body so many different things that it needs. And AG1 is designed to help you live easier and better without having to do a lot. AG1 is one scoop of powder mixed with water once a day, making it easy to live your best life. And it's no chore to take either. Every scoop is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, and it's delivered to me every single month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. If you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com Dan. That's athleticgreens.com Dan to check it out. And I want to thank AG1 by Athletic Greens for sponsoring today's show. So this is the part of the show where I like to take a look at a weekend from Box Office Pass, but also stop and pay tribute to people who have passed away in the previous week, who have left an impact in the world of movies and film. And there were sadly a lot of names to pick from over this previous week. There's just a few people that I chose to recognize. The first is Raquel Welch, who was one of the 20th century's most recognizable and popular icons. Her 1 million years BC poster found its way not only onto bedroom walls in the middle of the century, but also into movies like The Shawshank Redemption, where she played a very key role in the escape of Andy Dufresne. Raquel Welch also appeared in Fantastic Voyage, Bedazzled, and won a Golden Globe for her appearance in The Three Musketeers back in 1974. She also appeared on a memorable episode of Seinfeld in the 90s and guested on dozens of shows and appeared in films well into the 21st century. One of those people who was just an icon for her time. Another person I wanted to recognize is Gerald Freed, a prolific composer who began his career writing music for Stanley Kubrick's first four movies, including two of my favorites, The Killing and Paths of Glory. He would go on to make his career really in television, scoring episodes of dozens of TV shows, including Gilligan's Island and Star Trek, where he wrote one of the most enduring pieces of TV music ever when Captain Kirk and Spock fought each other in the episode of Mock Time 
time, I would play you a clip, but this will get demonetized if I do more than two seconds of music. Freed was an Oscar nominee for his score for 1974's Birds Do It, Bees Do It, and shared an Emmy Award with Quincy Jones, not a bad person to share an award with, for his work composing music for the landmark TV miniseries Roots. Another name that you may not know, but I can practically guarantee you've seen his work, is cinematographer Oliver Wood, who started out as the director of photography on the TV show Miami Vice, which was a landmark TV show of the 1980s, and then was cinematographer for dozens of films, including, but certainly not limited to, Die Hard 2, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, Rudy, Mr. Holland's Opus, Face Off, all three original Jason Bourne films, 2003's Freaky Friday, Talladega Nights, Step Brothers, Anchorman 2, The Equalizer or two and his final film which happened to be Morbius but I will say the look of that movie was not one of its issues. Oliver Wood's cinematography had a massive impact on action filmmaking because if you look at those original Jason Bourne films that handheld action photography was something that was somewhat new at least in American films and something that was much imitated but often not very well replicated in a lot of action films afterwards. And finally just a few days ago word broke that Richard Belzer passed away. Most most people probably know him as Detective John Munch, a role he originated on 1993's NBC show Homicide, Life on the Street. He would later play that role for over two decades on Law & Order, Law & Order SVU, and through guest spots on other shows. But Richard Belzer was also a pioneering stand-up comedian. He was a contemporary of Andy Kaufman and Robin Williams. He worked with the National Lampoon. He was the original warm-up comic for Saturday Night Live. When it premiered in 1975, he appeared on that show a handful of times. He also made appearances in movies like Fame and Brian De Palma's Scarface. If you haven't read what Richard Belzer's last words are, I can't say them here now. Again, much like playing music without getting demonetized, but please do look them up because I think they really show you a lot about his personality and how he saw the world. So sadly, a very busy week for this part of the show, but Raquel Welch, Gerald Freed, Oliver Wood, Richard Belzer, and many other people who passed away over this last week, all people who will leave a lasting impact in the entertainment industry. And as always, my thoughts go out to their friends, family, and fans. Let's look now at the box office flashback, a weekend from box office history, and we're going back to February 16th through the 18th, the seventh weekend of the year, which was another big Marvel release weekend, Ghost Rider, starring Nicolas Cage and Ava Mendez, premiered back in 2007 to $45.3 million. People forget, even though those movies were not critically well regarded, they still tended to open pretty well at the box office. At number two, also opening that weekend, back to terrorize and traumatize another generation, was the film adaptation of Bridge to Terabithia, starring a teeny tiny Josh Hutcherson, $22.5 million debut. At number three is Norbit, which dropped 50.9% in its second weekend to $16.7 million. There is a theory that the movie Norbit cost Eddie Murphy an Academy Award because the billboards for that movie were up all around Los Angeles while Oscar voting was going on the year that Eddie Murphy was nominated for Dreamgirls. And many people thought that there were Oscar voters who saw those billboards and those posters up and said, well, I can't vote for that guy. Is that stupid? It absolutely is because Eddie Murphy was brilliant in Dreamgirls. But hey, that's how the Oscars work. They're pretty dumb. 
At number four is Music and Lyrics, a romantic comedy starring Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore. It debuted to $13.6 million. And at number five, in my estimation, one of Tyler Perry's better films, and yes, I have seen every single one of them. That's not a joke. Daddy's Little Girls, $11.2 million, an early film in the career of Idris Elba. Also opening in sixth place, a movie that I wanted to mention, Breach, which was written and directed by Billy Ray. It opened to $10.5 million. It stars Chris Cooper and Ryan Phillippe, and it's about a mole hunt inside a government organization, but it turns out that the mole is the guy who's running the mole hunt, and it's a really good movie. It's based on a true story. Billy Ray also did one of my other favorite movies. I don't know if you've heard me mention it. I'm sure you have. Shattered Glass, uh, but this is also a really great one, so if you're looking for a great real-life kind of spy suspense kind of movie, check out Breach because it's super good. As we always do, though, when we look at weekends from box office history, we like to even the playing field just a bit and hit the inflation button. And when we look at those numbers translated to today's dollars, Ghost Rider is at number one still with a $65.4 million debut. Bridge to Terabithia at $32.5 million. Norbit's at number three with $24.2 million, followed by Music and Lyrics at number four with $19.6 million. Daddy's Little Girls at number five with $16.1 And then Breach debuting in sixth place with $15.1 million. You look at those numbers, it's hard to believe any of those movies pulling the same numbers today, whether they're opening or not opening. Just to look at how much has changed at the box office, especially and obviously post-2020. Before we go, as always, I want to look at the streaming charts, and we'll start, as we always do, with the iTunes Store, where The Fablemans takes the number one spot, because it is now available for both purchase and rental, so that's good enough for number one. Planes at number two, available for purchase and premium video on demand, as is Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, at number three. Triangle of Sadness, still a very strong performer on the iTunes charts at number four, available for purchase and rental. Megan, still only available for purchase and premium video on demand, is at number five. Alice Dar Darling stays on the charts at number six. Maybe I Do is at number seven for purchase and premium video on demand. It actually came out in theaters about a month ago. It made about $1.2 million, but just kind of was off the radar on the different charts that I do here on the show. But it's now available on the iTunes store. Devotion is available for purchase and rental at number eight. Ticket to Paradise is at number nine. And Top Gun Maverick returns to the chart at number 10. We don't have Netflix numbers this week because I did a double shot of them last week since the show was delayed by a day. So we will have Netflix numbers again next week, but I figured we'd have more than enough to talk about with Ant-Man, and it turns out that we did. But let's end with looking at the Nielsen numbers. As always, I've got to get my caveats. These are U.S. only. They do not measure all streaming devices. Not all streaming services give their numbers or are measured by Nielsen, and this is about a month delayed, but it's the best that we have, really, at seeing how all these different shows and movies from the different services stack up against each other. And let's look first at the top 10 most watched streaming movies. This is for the week of January 16th through the 22nd. At number one is Dog Gone on Netflix with $6.5 million. And I got some complaints last week because people thought that I kind of glossed over what this movie was since it came up so many times. So I think it really does bear repeating. Dog Gone is a movie. It premiered on Netflix. And it is about a dog that is gone. That's the premise of the movie. And, and I apologize. I, I really didn't. I did not explain it adequately enough last weekend. Dog Gone, a movie about a dog who has left, has departed, is it is gone, is at number one. 
Glass Onion is at number two with 4.7 million hours watched. The Hatchet-Wielding Hitchhiker at number three. The Menu at number four on HBO Max. The Pale Blue Eye at number five. Jurassic World Dominion over on Amazon Prime Videos at number six. Encanto, as it always is on a slower week, is at number seven. And another movie makes its return that's often on these charts. Moana on Disney Plus with 3.4 million hours watched. Encanto and Moana must be the go-tos for people watching Disney Plus because they are on the chart all the time. Strange World is at number 9, and Jung Yi on Netflix makes its debut at number 10 with 3.1 million hours watched. Let's look at the top 10 most watched streaming shows for January 16th through the 22nd. At number 1 is Jenny and Georgia on Netflix. At number 2, though, is that 90s show, which made its debut on that weekend in January, so 26.5 million hours watched. The Walking Dead on Netflix is at number 3. Vikings Valhalla on Netflix is at number 4. Coco Melons at number 5. The Last of Us on HBO Max is at number six, 13.9 million hours watched. And keep in mind, as we noted with House of the Dragon, this only counts some of the streaming views from HBO Max. And not all HBO Max views are counted on the Nielsen charts, nor does this count the people that watched it on broadcast, that watched it through the cable services. So this is but a fraction, a portion of the of the viewing audience for The Last of Us. But my guess is we're going to see those numbers rise because it's there at number six. Wednesday on Netflix stays in the chart at number seven. Bluey and NCIS, two very closely related shows, are tied at number eight with 11.583 million hours watched. Criminal Minds and Friends, again, really just two peas in a pod right there, tied at number nine at 10.983 million hours watched. And then The Big Bang Theory on HBO Max comes in at number 10 with 10.3 million hours watched. And finally, when we break down the Nielsen Top 20 by hours watched per available episode, we start to see the power of The Last of Us. This was its second week when it had two available episodes for an hours watched per episode of 6.98 million. So The Last of Us debuted well, but has been building week over week, and we see that on this chart. At number two is that 90s show, 10 available episodes, a full season run, 2.65 million hours watched per episode. And then we have a pretty big drop. Ginny and Georgia at number three with 1.5 million hours watched per episode. Wednesday still in the top five, 1.48 million hours watched per episode. Vikings Valhalla, the last show with over 1 million hours watched per episode, 16 episodes, two full seasons available. Coco Melon is at number six. National Treasure, Edge of History. This is the first time we've seen it on the chart. This was in the middle of its run when it had seven available episodes, 700,000 hours watched per episode. Women at War is at number eight. Kaleidoscope is at number nine. And Jack Ryan at number 10 with 322,000 hours watched per episode. And that does it for charts this week. There is a pretty wide array of things that are available coming up this week and this weekend on streaming at the box office. On Wednesdays, an interesting movie on Netflix called The Strays. I checked out the trailer for this and it actually looks like it might be kind of down my alley. So I'm going to check that out. On Thursday, Netflix also offers season three of Outer Banks, which is one of their popular shows. Then on Friday, we have two movies that are just like, I love that these two movies are going up against each other. The first one is Cocaine Bear which is about as uh, complicated a premise as Dog Gone. It's about a bear on cocaine, and you will definitely be seeing a review for that movie later this week. But opening against it in wide release is the movie Jesus Revolution, starring Kelsey Grammer, which is about an old-timey preacher who's got to deal with all these new hippies. It's it's going for the faith-based audience as we enter the Easter season. So it's a coked-up bear versus Jesus at the box office, and really, I wouldn't want it any other way. Looking at some of the films in limited release, The 
Quiet Girl, which is the Oscar nominee for Best International Film from Ireland, will start playing in limited release after its Oscar qualifying run late last year. Charlotte Rampling is in a film called Juniper, which is from New Zealand that's gotten good reviews. It's opening in limited release. Luther, The Fallen Son, starring Idris Elba. This is a feature film of Idris Elba's popular TV character, Luther. It will be debuting on Netflix in March, but it is opening in limited release this weekend. Also releasing this weekend on Hulu is a movie called Bruiser, starring Trevante Rhodes and Jalen Hall, who was great until earlier this year, or I should say late last year. On Netflix is a new movie from writer-director Christopher Landon, who did Happy Death Day and Freaky. It's called We Have a Ghost, starring David Harbour, Anthony Mackie, Tignataro, and more. And then streaming starting this Friday on Amazon is a movie which is just a summation of the entire streaming wars. It's Die Hard the movie, but it's not really an original movie. It's a feature-length version of Kevin Hart's Quibi series. Remember Quibi? I sure don't. Die Hard the series is a Roku original, but the movie has now been edited and will be released on Amazon. So this is really just a Mobius strip of different original programming and different streaming services, but I do think that it is kind of funny that the show that was originally made for Quibi, which was a quick bite, if you will all remember, which you probably don't, is being cut together into a movie in order to get people to watch it. Just another endorsement of how stupid the idea for Quibi really was. And that's all that I've got. Stay tuned later this week for a review of, as I said, Cocaine Bear. I'm also whipping up some award stuff. Plus, if any news comes up, you never know what I'm going to cover. I'm going to be traveling a little bit, so you'll probably see me back in the old hotel room for a day or two. But hey, that's just this time of year. Um, you, you go where the action is. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you, of course, to my partner, as always, Carbon Health. Thank you to my sponsors, Babbel and Athletic Greens, the makers of AG1. You can find all of their information down in the description below. And as I said, stay tuned right here on the channel for much more this week. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.